0: That's a shout-out to my friend Bob. <laughs> want to welcome everybody that's online with us, too, and we're thrilled to see so many here in person, to be honest. Sometimes the uh, winter storm warnings come, and everyone, you know, it's like we live in Massachusetts, but still everyone's like, oh, you know, ah, we're going to die. And we all have, like, all-wheel drive and four-wheel drive and refrigerators full of food. A <laughs> um, couple of shout-outs I want to... Uh, first, give a birthday wish. We have the, the Tim family with us, old friends of ours. Woo! Hallelujah. My friend Ron back here turning 50 today. Doesn't look a day over 60. <laughs> now we're glad to have you guys and uh, everyone else really visiting us. Um, I want to give a shout out uh, online to Josh and Lisa Connell, who are celebrating their anniversary this weekend. I don't, I don't know which number. So happy anniversary, Canals. We love you. God bless you. And let's get down to the message. We're going to be in John chapter 1 in your Bible app. By the way, I am rooting for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers this evening. I'm rooting for Tom Brady, is really who I'm rooting for. Unlike some people that I know who shall remain nameless. Uh Uh-oh. She got me. All right. Let's see if that will just stay in my pocket. John chapter 1. Billy Graham told a story, and it's obviously dated, uh, of a time where he was speeding. Imagine a pastor driving too fast. (laughs) Every pastor I know drives like a maniac. Um, But he's speeding through a small town, and he gets pulled over. And in those days, uh, when you were issued a ticket, you went to the courthouse to, to pay that ticket and to kind of have a, a brief hearing. And so uh, Brother Grant goes to the courthouse, and he sits there, and the judge has no idea that this is the famous evangelist, Billy Graham. He's just going through his cases. And so, you know, sir, how do you plead? And Billy Graham responds guilty, and the judge probably recognized that voice, because he just had... The voice. It was like the voice of God, right? You can almost imagine Billy Graham guilty. <laughs> and so the judge kind of, you know, looks and, and says, Well, you know, the, the fine is a dollar for every mile an hour you drove over the speed limit. So we know this story is old. And uh, he says, So you were 10 miles an hour over the speed limit. You're going to have to pay a $10 fine. But then he really recognizes Brother Graham he says, you're Billy Graham, the evangelist. He says, yes, I am. He says, you're pleading guilty. He says, yes, I am. I was guilty. The judge says, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do, because justice must be served. And the judge reaches into his wallet, pulls out a $10 bill, grabs a paper clip, attaches it to the ticket, signs it, and the price is paid in full. On top of that, the judge says, I'd like you to meet me when court adjourns and... Brother Graham meets with him, and the judge takes him out and buys him a steak dinner. And Brother Graham uses this to illustrate how the grace of God interacts with repentant sinners. Amen? Amen? And so today I want to minister on the grace of God, and I want to uh, start by reading from John chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. It says, For from his fullness we have all received... Grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, John chapter 1 is the, all about the incarnation of Christ. There's a lot there. But Jesus not only brought the message of grace and truth, he was and remains grace and truth in enfleshed. Amen? And so for the sake of this sermon, we're going to focus on the operation of grace in our lives and uh, leave the door open for maybe Pastor Sean or Pastor Steve to uh, elaborate on the truth side of this. But I want to look firstly at God's law and the human dilemma. I'm not going to cover necessarily new ground, and if this is familiar to you, you know, familiar gospel truth should still astound us. Amen? And we're going somewhere here. So verse 16 says that the law was given through Moses. And so what is, what does he mean by the law? A simple definition is that the law is basically all of the commands and all of the instructions from God to the nation of Israel contained in the first five books of your Bible. Some of it is the stuff you skip over, right? And the law requires perfect human performance in keeping God's commands in order to be rightly related to God. See, this is the human dilemma. Jewish tradition holds that there are 613 commandments in the Old Testament law, not to mention all of the stuff they began to tack on and add on through traditions later. So what do you think the chances are of all of us keeping all all 613 commandments all of the time? I think they're pretty slim. So let's narrow it down. How about the Ten Commandments? The Ten Commandments are believed to be a summation of all of God's law. So let me ask you, how are you doing with those? If we're going to be honest. Some of us have broken every one outright. Most of us have broken most of them outright. And if we haven't broken them outright we most definitely have broken them in our hearts and in our intentions. So let's bring it down further. The greatest commandment. Matthew chapter 22, verses 35 through 40. Jesus is being tested. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On those two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So, how are you doing with that? You loving God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength all the time? I'm not doing great with that. How about loving your neighbor? Are you loving your neighbor well? Amen. And this is our dilemma. Selfishness and self will win again and again and again. We have good intentions. We want, you know, very few people that I know set out to be a horrible person. Right? Right? Not many people set out, I'm going to be a jerk. Yep. People set out with good intentions. We all set out with good intentions. But you see, we don't want to talk about sin anymore, do we? We want to talk about sickness. We want to talk about all manner of different things. But the Bible still uses the term sin. And what is sin? Sin is our inherent selfishness. That's where sin manifests. All of the outward stuff is about decisions and an outflow of that. And so we can probably all relate that we start out with great intentions. We mean well. We want to do well. And we kind of launch forward. But somewhere in the middle of that, this, this selfishness begins to, like a cancer, begin to wind its way through almost anything that we do. It's very hard to be free of it. The fact is, is that the law of Moses, or even just the Ten Commandments, while being a great moral guide, what they really do is they show us how weak and how sinful we really are. Paul, the apostle, you know, we think of him as the great apostle, but he was a, a Jewish Pharisee before becoming converted to Christ. And he knew all of this, the ins and the outs. He didn't know, all, not only did he not, did he know, excuse me, not know. Not only did he know all 613 commandments by memory, he knew all of the Jewish traditions, all that, and he did everything possible to keep all of those. Yet he came to Christ. And he later wrote to the Romans in Romans chapter 3, verses 19 through 20, and then verse 23, he says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those that, who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. So, for those who would say, But wait, I keep the Ten Commandments. Well, the Ten Commandments are from the Bible. So, when you say that, you are saying you believe what the Bible says. The Bible also says that that's not true. The Bible says that actually that law is given to show us just how sinful we really are. For he goes on and he says in Romans, For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law, the Ten Commandments, if you will, comes knowledge of sin. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God remember reading uh, Ben Franklin's autobiography way back in school years, and he wrote about his pursuit of virtue and moral perfection, and he said this, he said, As I knew, or thought I knew, what was right and wrong, I did not see why I might not always do the one and avoid the, the other. In other words, why shouldn't I be able to always do what's right? But I soon found I had undertaken a task of more difficulty than I had imagined. While my care was employed in guarding against one fault, I was often surprised by another. See, this is what we do, because as, as people, again, as I stated, usually our intentions are, are actually quite good. So we set out, you know, we get entangled, we we begin to come to grips on ourselves, and we we, we gather ourselves, and by God, we're New Englanders, we're going to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, if you will, and we make up our minds, I'm going to do better. I'm gonna try harder. You know, this is why, you know, just to refer to Tom Brady, this is why so many of us liked him because usually in a press conference, if he didn't play well, he'd just say, "I gotta do better." We're like, "Yeah, you do." <laughs> I know uh, Dustin Pedroia was one of my favorite baseball players. I'm sorry to see his career over, but he was always, you know, he's like, "We gotta be better." That's how we think. I gotta do better. Gotta try harder. And so we set out to do that, and we end up, we do better in this area, and we begin to fail in another area. Romans chapter 7, Paul wrote about this struggle. And he says, I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart. But there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. He's like, I'm at war with myself. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. And then he says, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Can we all admit, can we relate to this struggle? I can relate to this struggle. Amen. This is where we land when we base our relationship and right standing with God on our own willpower, our own good deeds, and our own performance. Pastor Steve kind of alluded to this a few weeks ago, talking about uh, Josiah and the reforms that Josiah made. But those reforms were all under the law of God. And so, so long as Josiah was alive, the people did great. But as soon as he died, they backslid. Why is that? It's exactly what we're talking about. The law and outward reform are insufficient because they do not produce inward transformation. It's our inside that needs to be changed. It's our hearts. It's our minds. Can you say amen? My problem is, is how I think. Romans 7, 24 again. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? This is not a pleasant place to be. I realize that I'm not making everyone feel all warm and fuzzy right now. But there's no coming to Christ without passing through this ground. If you're trying to come to Jesus as sort of a self-help thing, just to make a better version of yourself, you're missing the message You will become that, but you have to pass through this ground first to really get there. And that's the ground that we as Christians call conviction. Where we are utterly convicted of our sin and our need for salvation. Conviction leads us to repentance and utter dependence upon God. In other words, we are in a good position to receive grace. Romans 7.25 says, in the beginning of the verse, says, thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So the law was given by Moses, but grace came through Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus came to bring grace for salvation. Let's think about what grace is. Grace, it comes from the Greek word charis. Now, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right or not but it means unmerited and unearned favor, goodwill or loving kindness. And when we will reach that place of conviction, a place of repentance, and a place of faith towards God, that he will save us because he has paid the price in Christ, grace flows into us. Forgiveness, unmerited and unearned favor with God. Amen. You come into a place of right standing with God. Are you with me? Some scriptures here, Romans 3, 23 and 24. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and we are justified by his grace as a gift. We are made right with God. That's that big fancy word justified. It means to be made right with God by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You will never earn right standing with God. Ephesians 2, 3 through 5. We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, boy, two beautiful words, but God, hallelujah. I love verse 4 here. But God, being rich in mercy, not just being merciful, rich in mercy. Because of the great love, not just love, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Church, what I'm preaching is good news. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So yes, how do we receive grace? Well, I already covered it. All that's required on our part is repentance and faith. Amen. We look to Jesus alone, but here's the key. We look to Jesus alone as our perfect substitute. Jesus came as our perfect substitute and it is and we're going to touch on it in a minute we always look to Jesus as our substitute in, in in divine justice his dying in our place and we're going to touch on that but you know Jesus was your perfect substitute in his life as well. What do I mean by that? I mean he lived the perfect life that you can't live. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. Here's the key. Jesus never sinned. Amen. So, something we look to that he died in our place. I feel some of you like scratching your head like I never thought of this before. The, the, The fancy phrase in the Bible is that we are in Christ, right? And so... We, because look, I fail every day. I'm not saying I'm going out smoking a a, a bone or you know buying a bottle of liquor, acting stupid, or but crazy stuff goes through this head of mine. I'm not a nice person while I'm driving, right? Amen. So. How do we resolve that? We say, I'm in Christ. My life is hidden in Him. And He lived the perfect life that I could never live and so long as I will abide in Him and remain in Him and stay rightly related to Him. This is the most important thing for us as Christians. I want to stay related to Him. I want to live with a God consciousness, a God awareness. I don't want the day to fritter by without me not thinking about Him, not me in my spirit and in my soul communicating with Him and communing with Him. And we abide in his perfect life trusting that he lived before his father the life that we could never live and grace flows through that listen for some of you i'm I'm speaking i I literally have a note on my on my page no rabbit trails some of you can be delivered by what i'm talking about right now because you are way way too hard on yourself You are constantly talking down to yourself, beating yourself up. And I'm not saying that we don't hold ourselves to to high standards, but listen, you're not going to get it perfect. You're not going to get it right. And you can relax a little bit when you begin to understand that Jesus got it right. Because you never will. And then we know that Jesus became our perfect substitute in satisfying divine justice for our sins, didn't he? Just like Billy Graham, that judge says, well, justice is justice, and it must be paid. And so that judge paid it himself. This is exactly what God the Father did for us through Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 21. For our sake, he, being God the Father, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus didn't just pay the price for your sin. Something transpired on that cross where he became sin in flesh. He literally became the curse and the price and the horror of sin. And at that moment, that was when he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He became completely God forsaken. Why? Why? So that we might be made righteous. I have a picture here. Where's that? You guys got a picture of the slide? I like this. Here's our receipt. Amen. Jesus paid it all. Let's look thirdly then at grace upon grace. Amen. Because this is what the Bible says that from His fullness we all received grace upon grace. So let's take a minute and think a little more about the nature of God's grace because what I'm talking about is not some cold transaction. I'm not talking about something that's just merely some contract. But listen to me. God's grace flows from the very essence of his being. God's grace flows out from who he is. It flows out from the unsearchable riches of his love. We learned earlier that grace is unmerited and unearned favor. This is what we receive through Christ. Now, listen to what Vine's Bible Dictionary tells us. Because it shows us God's side of uh, of grace as the giver. That on the part of the bestower, on God's part, grace is the friendly disposition from which the kindly act proceeds. It is loving kindness and goodwill. Grace is the loving kindness and goodwill that flows out of the depths of the Father's heart from love. Can you say amen? For God so loved the world. This is our theme today. God so loved you that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. This is God's heart for us. And this is my point. And I want to assure you that if he went to such great lengths to bring us his love and to bring us his grace in Christ to save us, listen to me, that grace doesn't just doesn't peter out on the day that you get saved. The same length that he demonstrated in Christ, he still will go to. He didn't save you to turn you loose. Now, all right, you're saved now. Go keep the rules. And you're like, what are the rules? <laughs> I'm not good with rules. You're in the right place because we're talking about grace. God wants you to make it. What do I mean by make it? I mean heaven. See, a lot of Christianity has become very earth focused. That's okay. I'm not. It, I'm not going to take that out. But you know, there's eternity. And I appreciated that kids clip because sometimes God says no. Sometimes God seems insanely silent. You run into people all the time. Well, where is God in this? You know, where was God when that happened, and where is God when this happened, and blah blah blah. And you know, I don't know. I'm not going to try to answer for Him. He's God. You go read the Book of Job if you think you can answer for God. Yeah. <laughs> He'll answer out of a whirlwind. You may, not, you may get the answer you're looking for, but it might not be what you think it is. But here's my point. Whatever happens, He wants to be with you through it all. And He wants to sustain your faith through it all and help you make heaven your home so that you can be with Him forever. And He does this gracefully. Upon grace. Because you see, salvation basically serves as the foundation and then our spiritual lives are built grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. You read in the Old Testament, you see them rebuilding the temple. I'm just thinking of this now. Oh, you said no rabbit holes. Well, I'm thinking of this now anyway and in the prophet Zechariah kind of gives us a, a vision here because the, the whole city has been ruined they've been in Babylon for well over 70 years the city and the temple are in rubble and it all seems overwhelming but along comes the the prophecy from Zechariah to the builders Zerubbabel and Joshua and he says that it's not by might it's not by your power it's by my spirit says the Lord and you're going to come, and you're going to put the capstone on that temple, and you're going to do nothing but shout, grace, grace. You're not going to take credit. You're not, our, at last, our hard work and our willpower paid off. When this, when this project is complete, he's saying, you're going to say, grace, grace. He's say, Only the grace of God could have helped us get this done. This is how we're getting to heaven, church. Remember the struggle that we outlined in Romans chapter 7? Oh, wretched man that I am and all that. Well, I I got bad news for you. (laughs) You're going to wrestle with this reality over and over again. Because God calls you to grow spiritually. And he calls you to become more and more like Jesus. And what he does is he begins to reach inside of you deeper and deeper to all the things that are at work inside of you that are not like Jesus. Jesus. And it's a painful process. I remember, you know, when I got saved, I got set free from drugs instantly, and I was an addict. I stopped swearing, you know, all, I stopped lying, I, I, all these outward things. And I thought, yeah, that's it, I'm fixed. I found out really fast I was not fixed, and I'm, st- you know what, I'm finding out deeper and deeper how unfixed I am. Can you say, Amen? And then on top of that, you will face, not you might, you will face deep trials in life. Things are going to happen that you can't expect. Stuff inside of yourself is going to happen. You're going to face setbacks. You're going to face loss. You're going to face the attacks of the devil on top of all that. This is just reality, church. I'm not trying to discourage you. I'm trying to let you know you're not crazy for facing this stuff. We all do. You add all this up, and what it means is that you are going to feel overwhelmed on a regular basis. You're going to be like Joshua and Zerubbabel, looking at this pile of rubble, thinking, we got to rebuild a temple out of that? Talk about an overwhelming task and you feel overwhelmed day by day and this is something going on a lot right now with all the insanity going on into the world but like we sang in the song Oceans God is going to keep summoning you out of your comfort zone and into deeper waters so how do we respond when we're overwhelmed the problem is we get overwhelmed and we respond like we did when we were under the law I gotta do better I got to try harder. Hello. Oh. And again, I'm not saying don't hold yourself to godly standards. But if you could do better on your own, you'd already been doing it. If you could do better by trying harder, you would have already been doing it. So, what do you do? Our answer begins in prayer. Our answer begins in prayer and where you take that sense of being overwhelmed. Amen. Listen to Hebrews 4, 15 through 16. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus has been through your testing. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. See the problem is you've spent your whole life thinking God's angry with you for struggling. You spent years thinking it's God telling you to try harder and do better. What God really does is he invites you into his presence. That's where you're going to find the answer you need. His presence. And his throne is not a throne of judgment. It's not a throne of condemnation. It's a throne of grace. We've gone through all kinds of defining of grace, isn't it? You're going to meet a heavenly father who has good will towards you. Who loves you who you're going to meet your high priest, Jesus, who, who's basically your defense lawyer in heaven right now. i got a good Jewish lawyer in heaven. Glory to God. He's pleading my case. He says that you're going to, you're going to find mercy. Not do better. You're better than that. You're going to find grace to help in time of need. So what's this mean? Let's look at one last definition of the word grace. And this comes from Thayer's Bible Dictionary. Grace can mean gifting. Capacity and ability due to the grace of God. What you can't do, God can do through you. I'm going to say that again. What you can't do god can and will do through you and in you because this is where the holy spirit comes in isn't it i'm talking about gifting capacity ability that is beyond yourself that flows to you and in you and through you because of the grace of god grace is an active power and we call him the holy spirit I'm thinking right now of Acts chapter 1. You shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. This is the point. God wants to give you His Spirit to be with you, to dwell with you, to give you uh, an awareness of His presence and to empower you and to gift you and give you ability and capacity to overcome what you could never otherwise overcome. And it's grace upon grace Upon grace. Can you say amen? Amen. One step after another. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 29, at the end of the verse, literally refers to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of grace. Where you fall short, God's grace in the person of the Holy Spirit brings gifting, capacity, ability in your life that comes from Him and not yourself. For from His fullness we have all received grace. Grace upon grace. Think about the fullness of Christ. What's what's that mean, the fullness? means all that he is. Colossians 2, 9 and 10 says, For in him dwells all the fullness. There's that word again. Dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Think about that. He is the head of all principality and power. He's running the show. He's running the universe, church. And think about, just take a minute and think about the fullness of Jesus. Think about all that he is, the Lamb of God, the Creator. Think about his attributes, his omnipotence, his sovereignty, his immutability, his omniscience. His faithfulness, His goodness, His justice, His mercy, His holiness, His love, and on and on and on to, to infinity. His fullness. You see, it's not just that Jesus has what you need. Jesus is what you need. And where you lack where you fall short he has a fullness of supply can you say amen, amen. he is infinite in his nature in other words you, we draw from him you know we we can't conceive of drawing from a source and that source not being depleted can we all oh, you know what it is to have that 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 atm withdrawal that you forgot about and your bank account a little close to the edge, and all of a sudden you get that, that notice in the mail saying they're charging you another $30 on top of the money you don't have. Because we can't imagine drawing from something and not it being depleted and having to be replenished. But you see, God, Christ, He's infinite in all of His attributes. Everything that He is, He is infinitely That account, that cup, that source is always full. You can draw as much as you need. Can you say amen? Over and over and over again. And as those who have received the forgiveness of our sins through grace, we can now access and come to Him in our weakness. We can come to Him in our failure. We can come to Him in our utter insufficiency. We can come to Him and say, I am a wretched human being. I keep doing this. And you're going to receive mercy. You're going to see, if you will, an open vault with everything that you need in it. And its name is Jesus. Come on, draw from this. Are you thirsty? Come and draw from the well. See, to me, at this point in my life, this is what victorious Christian, Christian living is all about. I, I somehow... It, it, I got saved in 1984. It's been a a long while. You see different things. But, you know, I had this thing that that to to live victoriously meant I was like some super macho conqueror guy walking on water. Mr. Miracle. How you doing, Jim? Got the victory. Hallelujah. You know, I'm going to go to work tomorrow morning, so I'm going to ask you, how you doing? I'm like, I need more coffee. (laughs) (laughs) you see it's the opposite what i understand now is it's it's me being acutely aware of my own weakness on one hand and yet being fully confident and fully reliant on god's grace on the other hand if i'm still standing with god today in faith it's due to his fullness and it's grace upon grace this is how we're going to grow do you ever think about what the last verse of the Bible is? All the, you know, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. All of that story, all of that history. How do you think it finishes? I think the last verse in the Bible is very telling. Revelation 22, verse 21. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. This is God's will for you. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's pray for a minute. Father, thank you so much for your mercy. God, you're just, you are unsearchable. We can't put you into words. We recognize our need, Father, under the law, that we have all sinned, that we've all fallen short. And Lord, we thank you that you came in the flesh, that you lived the perfect sinless life that we could never live, that you willingly gave yourself and satisfied divine justice on that cross and in that grave. We thank you, Lord, that you are risen. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are ascended, that you now serve as heaven's high priest you now serve as our advocate with the father making intercession for us and Lord we desperately need that Lord we bring to you our weakness we bring to you our failures we bring to you our confusion above everything Lord we bring to you just that utter sense of being overwhelmed and exhausted and having no idea what to do next we bring this to you Father today we ask you to help us to draw from your fullness please Father send the Holy Spirit Spirit come come Holy Spirit we open our hearts we recognize our need we need mercy we need your grace we need your power please come do in us what we just can't do. Help us to live from grace to grace. Help us to grow grace upon grace. And help us to do your will, Father, and shine your light. Father, we thank you for this awesome hope. We thank you for this awesome promise. And We just ask you to help us to go from here back out into the world that we live in and reflect and shine and be a testimony of grace. Use us, Heavenly Father. Help us. As we are broken. We are jars of clay. But Lord, please fill us with yourself anyway. And let us be your vessels in the world. Shine your light. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.